welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics Podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And you guys, this episode is so fun. You are going to love our conversation with Jody Carrington. Now, Jody is a psychologist and she has several books out, but her most recent book is called Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. And women in our demographic feel invisible a lot. And we talk about what it takes to feel seen and feel heard, especially when you're staying home more, you have social media that makes everybody's life look happy because no one ever posts sad stuff. At this time of life, you need like ideas and options and choices and goodness. Jody has the energy and Jody brings it on this conversation. She talks about simple steps, the next best right kind thing to do. And it was just a fun episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, she does, like you said, energy and, you know, her connection with people and how she talks. And I love that she says, I have never met a bad person. And she has worked in the criminal justice system. She has had to work with all kinds of different walks of life. And she'll talk about it in the episode, you know, people who've had their children taken away from them, people, children that are having a lot of difficulties in school situations that can even be violent. And she said, I've never really met a bad person at heart. And it was so refreshing to have somebody to talk to that would really try to look down and find the really good in people the inherently good in people. And I thought that was so refreshing and she is so fun to talk to. And I can see why people can make a connection with someone like Jody. You know, Jody is so much fun. And Colleen and I are on her podcast, the Everyone Comes From Somewhere podcast, which was a lot of fun too. You've got to check it out. They ask for a childhood picture of us for the the. Uh, promotion oh, yes. of their podcast episode. And oh, yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. You all know I'm one of 12 kids. That's kind of hard to do is find a childhood picture of me. I'm number 11. You know, they always say the first <laughs> They didn't take pictures lot. after Oh, like I don't eight. even know if, if, if we got a picture, it was like um, one of my sisters did it because I don't even know where the camera was by then. So, but this, it's a lot of fun. Um, she really gets deep into conversation and just making those connections. And we're going to talk about in here how that is a really big part of longevity and health and wellness is having community and connections. More important really than anything is to have that connection. So just make, you know, go out there, say hi, just you're going to hear about it in this podcast about just waving at people, how that is so important to do. Oh, it can be so much fun to get the dirty looks too. You know, you wave at someone. <laughs> or the suspicious looks. Like, like, what do you, what or do they look want? behind them? Like, who is she waving? I do that. I do that. I'm like, surely they're not talking to me. There must be somebody better behind me that they're waving to. <laughs> no, they're... They are yeah. looking at you and they're waving. So, you know, kind word goes a long way. You look yes. pretty today. You look happy. What a beautiful smile. Seen and feel heard is so important nowadays because there are so many people that just feel lonely. And it is yes. an epidemic. Loneliness is an epidemic and it could take years off your life. So we are going to talk to someone who is very lively, and that is Jody. Before we get started, we just want to remind you guys that L. 
G Hot Flash is 30% off all Laura Geller products until the 15th. If you go to laurageller.com, pick out all your favorites as Bridget and I have already done, and then just use the promo code LG Hot Flash, and that'll give you 30% off all products. Let's get started talking about feeling seen and heard with Jody. We'll talk to you after. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, everybody. We are really thrilled today to have a conversation with Dr. Jody Carrington. Today, we're going to talk about her latest book, Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. And we're so excited. Welcome, Dr. Jody, to the show. Bridget, I'm so excited to be here. You wonder why? Because today is Feeling Seen's birthday. We launched it into the world. I'll just show for demonstration purposes. We launched it into the world one year ago today. Oh, wow. And it is a national bestseller. We're so jacked about all of it. And I'm so excited that I get to talk to you about it today. What does it really mean to feel seen? Yeah, it's so interesting. So I, when we started this book, so I'm a psychologist and I've spent a lot of time in my own practice, you know, talking to people about all kinds of problems. And then I started to, um, to be, I spent a lot of time with our national police force. And so I have a big history in trauma and organizational stress. And then I did, um, my first job was on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids. So some of the worst babies you can imagine, the hitters, the kickers, the biters, I love those babies because what we ask all the time is what is wrong with you, not what happened to you. And when you change the context of somebody's story, you suddenly then have access to empathy. And feeling seen for me is really about the desire for every single human, regardless of even age, race, religion, socioeconomic status, gender identity, to know that they matter in this world. And the definition for me is really, it's, it's often done without words. It's often done um, even without sound. It is that capacity to know that deeply somebody, even if it takes a second or 40 years, gets you and how you show up in this world. And it is like, one of my favorite hockey coaches said this, you should see how fast I can get a kid to skate when I know the name of their dog. And it is just simply this idea of being acknowledged that in this human race, we will rise. We are neurobiologically wired for connection. And if I know I matter to you, I'll skate through walls. I'll punch through anything. I will do whatever it takes. And it can take a second. You know, if you've ever been stranded on the side of the road and you needed somebody, if you've ever been in a state of just panic because your babies were not okay and somebody jumped in, you don't even have to have a history with this person. But oftentimes in couples therapy, that's one of my favorite things to do, is I only need to get two people to look at each other for there to be magic that happens because most of what's written between us is without words. And despite the fact that we're neurobiologically wired for connection, the hardest thing we will ever do is look into the eyes of the people we love. That is, you know, you talk so much about connections and the different the different types of connections that people have with each other. And, you know, you're talking about... Um, you know, different things like chaotic things that happen in trauma. How do you how do you get to someone to really say, you know, when you say what happened to you, how hard is it to get them to discuss and just kind of let everything go with trauma? It's so interesting because here's the fundamental heart of I think everything that we've always sort of wanted to get to in this human race. We like it best when people are calm. We like it best when people aren't losing their friggin' minds, right? If anybody's still married or if you've been around a couple of times listening to this podcast, pick your favorite. What you want and the people you love the most is for them to be calm. And I think about this even, you know, when I'm talking to organizations about 
um, you know, your favorite leader, who of all the places you've worked, worked in and worked for, who are the people who inspired you the most, whether it's a volunteer organization or, you know, some conglomerate that you worked for in your history, your favorite leader tends to have that one skill of emotional regulation, which is staying calm in times of distress how not to lose your friggin' mind. We love it best when our partners can do that. We love it best when our kids are calm. But when there is chaos, we want somebody to walk us through it. And it it comes back to this, this quote that I often say, and I think it's in the book too, but I, I have it over my shoulder because it is probably the most profound statement in the English language I've ever heard. It's by a dead guy named Ram Das, And he said this, we are all just here walking each other home. That's it. Full stop. End of story. We are all just here walking each other home. And those of us in positions of privilege, those of us who tend to be the healthiest, are lucky enough, blessed enough, curated enough to have a number of walkers in our times of distress. Because what happens when you bring a baby home from the hospital, how they let you know what they need is they cry. They lose their friggin' minds. That's the job of little people. That's the job of your employees. That's the job of people, you know, as a teacher, Bridge, that was the job of kids is to lose their minds. The job of big people is to do the walking. And our, our idea, I think, in feeling seen is when you have capacity to do that, you are one of the greatest gifts. This is, this is the thing the world needs to put full stop is for so many of us to understand our power. Because we were never meant to do any of this alone. And we've never been this disconnected in the history of the free world. We've never been this lonely than we are in this moment. So much of what you just said is incredibly powerful. And I hope that the listeners kind of sit in a moment and really think about what you just said. Because, you know, we've been talking a lot about, especially recently, the loneliness epidemic. That is coming. Mm, Beck Murphy talked about that. Your Surgeon General uh, came out with a report, you know, as four months ago. You know, we're talking about a mental health crisis, but he said, listen, the fuel to that is the loneliness epidemic. 60% of all adolescents, teenagers in our communities, we think we have access to all of this connection, right? You can FaceTime anybody. You can, I mean, we're in two different countries in this moment. What a beautiful gift this technological advances are. I wear an Apple watch, which I'm supposed to track my steps, but I'll tell you what else happens is that everybody can get me any second. My life-sucking kids who I just adore, I, I don't get a break. My, my cortisol is never at rest the way that even my, my parents were because there's instant access to us all the time. There's beauty in that, but our systems, particularly as women, were not designed for this much inundation of data, which means our body is in a state of fight or flight the vast majority of the time, which means I lose access to the best parts of myself. I lose access to not only feel seen, but to give that gift to other people most of my days because I'm like this waiting, waiting, even not consciously for the phone call from the school, for my husband to check in, for my employee to say, you know, this is not a fit for me anymore. And then at the end of the day, you know what we do? At the end of the day, we're supposed to relax, but we all sink into crime podcasts (laughs) and watching other people kill each other. We're like, oh, we're just going to sink in to learn how to launder money in the Ozarks and relax. And then we can't sleep and we wonder why. Guilty. We're just <laughs> laughing out loud because Guilty. that was me. And it's, you know, you I was uh, I was actually listening to your book and I was, you know, was sitting there doing the whole like 
here, put your fist up. Now put your thumb in. Now put your um, hand down. And these are the connections. Then you talked about lid flipping, flipping your lid. Can you describe what that is? Because I was like, oh my gosh, what a great description that you just made. You know, and I and I really started talking a lot about that, Bridget, for teachers, because um, what happens often in, so the neurophysiological explanation of emotional dysregulation is if you take your brain, and I, I do this in the book, but I'll tell you this real quick. So if you put, hold your hand up in front of you, if you're driving, keep one hand on the wheel, put your thumb in the inside of your hand and wrap your fingers around your thumb. So you sort of make a fist with your thumb tucked inside. That is a hand model of your brain. And it is about the same size as the brain sitting in your skull currently. And your arm is represents your spinal cord. Your wrist is your brain stem. If you flip your fingers up, the most primitive part of your brain is represented by your thumb. That is like your limbic system. So in all mammals, um, including humans, this develops first. We develop interceptively, so from the inside out. And this is where the three regulation strategies that we all want, we all get come for free, right? So I said, this is the biggest gift you'll give anybody is how to regulate emotion. We all come wired for three, with three, fight, flight, or freeze. And other people are coming up with new F words like fawn and whatever, but dumb. Fight, flight, or freeze is the only thing we really need to be worried about, okay? What separates humans from most other mammals is we have the prefrontal cortex that wraps around that thumb, that limbic system. And so if you close your fingers around your thumb now, there is your brain and your prefrontal cortex is represented by your fingers. And that lives right above your balls, your eyeballs. Everything you've ever lived, learned in your life lives in that prefrontal cortex. So if you speak a language, the 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 pin number to your bank card, your first childhood phone number, the middle name to your mother-in-law, your children's birthdays, anything you've ever learned in your life lives up there, including the languages that you speak, including musical instruments, and things like how to be kind, how to use your words, how to have empathy. If nobody's ever taught you how to do those things, they don't live up there. If nobody's never taught you how to apologize, if nobody's never looked you in the eyes and said, baby boy, I am so sorry. You do not have the capacity to give that away because you do not have that neural pathway to do that. And so what happens when you bring a baby home from the hospital um, is they don't have a lot of stuff going on up there. And so we want, um, like for those of you with children, if you've ever looked at your own personal child and were proud of them, that is who they are. Their lid, Dan Siegel said, I want you to think about this prefrontal cortex like a lid. When your lid is on, you have access to everything you've ever learned. So if you looked at your kids and they're using their words or they're passing, you know, at Christmas time, they're being kind to each other. And you're like, oh, my God, look at that baby. Their lid is on. That is who you've raised. If you've ever went on a second date in your life, you decided to go on that second date with your prospective partner because their lid was on. And I often say this. Have you ever heard this? She's flipped her lid. He's lost his friggin' mind. That's what we're talking about because you lose access to your prefrontal cortex in times of distress. Now, this is neurobiologically important. I want you to flip your lid out of the way if you're getting chased or eaten by a tiger or you're at a scene of a motor vehicle accident as a police officer. I don't need you to know the PIN number to your bank card in that moment. I need you to flip all that stuff out of the way and do what you need to do to either keep yourself safe or help somebody else. So this idea of lid flipping becomes really critical because when you bring a baby home to the hospital, how do they let you know what they need? They cry. They lose their friggin' minds. And the job of big people is to walk them home. And we are neurobiologically wired to do that regardless. This is a universal response to a crying infant, okay? Right now in China or Afghanistan or Coquitlam, British Columbia, if somebody comes upon a crying infant, their neurobiological response is to pick them up and co-regulate. Hmm, 
hmm, to engage in a rhythmic exchange in an effort to walk them home. And our ability to regulate each other's emotion is in our bones. Because as human beings, we all start in exactly the same place. Regardless, race is a social construct. Our DNA as humans is 99.98% the same. And the first sound that everybody listening to this podcast in this moment felt first was the heartbeat of your mama. And whether she's alive or you have a relationship with her or not, your understanding, bump, 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 of emotional regulation, that rhythmic exchange is in your bones. And our job often in times of biggest distress isn't to tell somebody what to do, it is to show them. And if you are blessed, privileged, lucky enough to have walkers in your times of distress, you will learn that capacity to give it away. So if I'm surrounded by people who are relatively regulated, grandma's access to aunties or cookums or siblings that can say, okay, okay, okay. If I'm surrounded by multiple generations of abuse, neglect, and trauma, where people are not regulated because nobody ever showed them how to do it, or you get upset and they say, shut up, you're an idiot, or they're drunk, high, absent, unable, they're flat, you do not have the capacity to give it away. Which means we see, you know, intergenerational trauma. We see people that, you know, in marginalized experiences, uh, when nobody's ever been kind enough to give it to you, you know, dating back to colonization, the suggestion that, that you know, white skin matters more than any other color means we are ending up in very privileged positions. And so when we look at, for example, in my country, uh, there was a cultural genocide experienced by indigenous peoples. Um, they remain the highest number of uh, people in our prisons. Uh, our child care, uh, mental uh, child and family services, 72% of kids in care in our country are indigenous, uh, despite the fact that they only make up 10% of the population. Our ability to regulate emotion is a privilege, a gift, and it is what is necessary to be the most successful in this planet. And our job to be able to walk people home as teachers, police officers, hockey coaches, soccer moms, um, will become one of the most profound roles that us as human beings play in our communities um, for the next foreseeable future. You know, when you're saying that, and it's just, you, you speak it so eloquently, so thank you for sharing that. The first thing I thought of was, what about older people who don't cry but they need that person to walk them just as much. They need that connection. And for so many people who are getting older, they're alone. What can we do for them? What can what can we do? I love that you say that. So like men will live longer when they remain married. Women tend to live just as long when they have solid connections. So one of my favorite books is called The Village Effect. Um, Susan Pinker is a psychologist, Canadian psychologist. She wrote it and she said, listen, the greatest predictors of longevity is actually not how much you eat or drink or how fat you are. It is your capacity for social engagement. So not even necessarily having a best friend, but the blue zone um, identified uh, by an island off of Corsica. You know this research. We had um, Dan Butner on. He was great. Yeah. yeah. He was so great. Yeah, I bet. And one of the, as he, he obviously shared with you is one of the greatest predictors of longevity is really this idea of social reciprocity. And so what we notice in many um, European countries, particularly off the coast of Italy, is the closeness that homes still remain in, that your ability or your requirement to go out and get your your coffee of the day or your fresh bread or your whatever means you know the name of the post office worker, means you're saying hello to someone or somebody saying, oh, hi, Miss Garrett, how are you today? That 
ability to stay connected within community matters way more than any other data set we have available to us. Knowing that data means gathering more often. Now, listen, if you think about the square footage of the house that our grandfather father was raised in, your grandfather, and the square footage of the house in which we raise our babies, what's the difference? They were a lot smaller. Yeah, thousands of square feet. Yeah. It is estimated that our great-grandparents looked at their children 72% more of the time than we look at our babies. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. So we are a first generation of women playing by a set of rules that was established for a world that no longer exists. And Adam Grant talks a lot about that. And it's this idea, right, that we have never now been so, it's never been this important to get direct connection with other people. It takes practice to have small talk. It takes practice to give somebody a compliment, to speak in an elevator. The exposure matters. Yeah. And the more insular we become, the more insular our children become, um, the, the lonelier we become because what we will never automate is relationship. And if I think about this generation of women now, you know, enticed to work from home, of course, the pandemic made it necessary for sure, but the most successful organizations moving forward in the remainder of our lifetime will be companies that understand the importance of bringing their people back together. And it is the isolation will never, ever serve us well. Yeah, exactly. During during the, uh, you know, during like what you just said, during the pandemic and what's happening there. And then, you know, like Colleen, you were saying just for elderly people that disconnect, just that whole disconnect and, and they, you know, if they go in the home and then your life is so busy and you can't go visit your parents or your grandparents, um, you know, is there any salvation is there anything we could do for for you know what do you do what I'm trying to say is what do you do for the person that has grown up without having the that ability women tend to be better regulators than men because we have a much greater emotional language so the ability to get our lids back on typically is you know the capacity to sort of say how we feel versus you know I'm just pissed off I'm so mad at you versus like I feel so frustrated or I feel like I've so disappointed our children that the shame is just sort of stopping me in my tracks, right? So when you have the capacity to use those words, it tends to get us back on track a little bit more. What tends to happen with our older generation, particularly men, is they have less and less capacity, not the um, ability to feel emotion, but the capacity to express it because we've come from a generation where we still very much perpetuate this idea. Boys don't cry. You're tough. Ah, don't talk about it. You're good. And the highest rate of suicide in your country and mine is middle-aged men. And our ability to show up as much as we can, first of all, acknowledge that. You see, our generation, we don't, particularly in North America, we don't want, like to watch our parents grow. It's heartbreaking. And if we have the capacity to transfer care to other people, we take it, not because we don't want to be with them, we don't want to see them suffer. We don't want to see them in pain. And when a child becomes the caregiver for their parents, it is the most unnerving situation for them and for us, right? Switching those roles um, becomes really critical. And I think what matters more than anything is considering the connections that you can't do. And, you know, we just set up my dad is in the middle stages of dementia in 
his early 70s. And so we we said, okay, we all live in different parts of this province. We very rarely can get home. My brother's right there. I don't want to put everything on him. And so we've said, um, Sundays, we do a Zoom call. And I know we can't get there because I have three kids and my brother has two kids and my sister has a child. And, you know, like, oh, we have all of these things which become the excuse. But guess what? Every Sunday morning at 830 to 930, regardless of where we are, we're going to do our very best to have everybody's face on uh, Zoom. Now, it's taken a very long time to learn how to do that. We've watched a lot of dad's nostrils as he's like, is this, is this on? <laughs> but the necessity to see our faces is critical. So it's different than an email. It's different than a text. And it's different than a phone call. How do you engage in that way becomes really critical. If you can navigate um, the the visits become important. We notice that, you know, elderly people do better when they're engaged in programs. And so even if it is the home that we, you know, typically sort of talk about, uh, is there social activities? Is there engagement with other people? Is there that familiar face that becomes, um, you know, necessary to sort of inhibit some of those uh, neuropathies, not inhibit, but create those neuropathways as they continue to grow? Um, having them involved, there's lots of data around grandparents being very connected to their grandchildren and what that does uh, to their longevity. Um, and the access to social media also means now that we compare ourselves. We're the first generation of parents that has this much access to uh, social media. And we worry about kids in social media. Man, they grew up with it. We don't have a script for this. We don't understand that we can compare ourselves to Barb and she's drinking a collagen. And she is getting a family pictures done with all the grandchildren. Well, son of a gun, what are we doing? We are useless, Scott. We are useless. <laughs> I mean, we didn't, we didn't know that. Like, I still remember. I'm, I'm a, probably about a decade behind you, but I'm, I'm. We're in this. I remember like the party lines when that's how we would get in touch with each other on the farms because you couldn't answer the phone if it was ringing on Agnes's phone. You had to make sure you didn't pick it up. Well, what if we did? I mean, but we just go down and listen because we're wired for the sense of we want to know and be connected to people. And we assume that the Facebook check-ins or even, you know, the Instagram likes uh, are going to fill that void. And it doesn't. Neurochemically, we don't respond the same way to a text message as we do to a visit. And being able to navigate that um, and just, just that knowledge becomes so remarkably important in this season. You also talk about doing the next best right kind thing. Can you explain mm. that? Okay. So the bar is so low right now. Our ability, you know, I say this to my kids all the time. Who's your favorite teacher? And our twins both said, uh, Mr. Seeley, who he taught them three years ago. And so now they're in middle school. And I'm like, we're talking, we're, we're going to go back to grade two for the favorite. Yes. And I said, why? Because he had a turtle. There's nothing about the literacy or the numeracy or the curriculum. This fella had a turtle, okay? If I think about my favorite hockey coaches because he gave us snacks. If I think about when you think about your favorite people, it's because they had the capacity to connect. Look you in the eye, have a conversation, light it up when they see you. And I think right now the bar is so low. You give somebody, and watch this. I mean, I want you to do this today because it's going to be better for you than anybody else. Give somebody a compliment today. And if you can't, if you're not brave enough to do that to a stranger, I want you to wave on your drive back and forth, wherever you go today in your town, 
your city, wherever you are, your community. If you don't drive and you're walking, I want you to wave. Somebody driving by. I want you to get to the stoplight and go like this. I mean, I want people to be like, what is going on with Colleen? She been drinking? Look at her. <laughs> Waving. Huh? Because what happens when we just engage in our communities is we pull each other's prefrontal cortexes on. That's where we have access to the best parts of ourselves, remember? And when I can do that on purpose, if you are at Target, we don't have Target up here in Canada, which is what I love to say that word. And when you go to the Target and you say to Natalie, working behind the counter, you just say, Natalie, whatever's true for Natalie, I love that shirt. Or your eyes are just beautiful. You are just so, watch what happens. It is remarkable, right? They lean in. It is ridiculous. This is how affairs start in minor hockey, actually. I always say this. Because you give somebody a compliment, your kid has a nice shot, or he's very good with a soccer. They're like, oh, my God, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) The bar is so low right now. And that's what I love about being alive, you guys, in this moment, is that it is so much room. People say this is only kindness. Yeah, yeah. Next best right kind thing. We get overwhelmed by the audacity that this world has to sling the data we have never ever been we've never seen this rates of this high rates of um, child maltreatment domestic violence has never been this high you are inundated by i cannot fathom that what is happening in gaza or israel or in places around this world right now that this is okay that this is happening and we get overwhelmed by that particularly those of us in positions of privilege and so you know we just say we shut it off we can't it's too much I can't think about poverty. I can't think about marginalization. It's too much. It becomes debilitating. And so my offer, you know, when we talk about this feeling scene is really, listen, put it all down. You don't need to start a nonprofit for homeless teenage moms. If, if you don't have the capacity to do that, I understand. That would be my desire too. All I want you to think about today is next best right kind thing. Wave at your neighbors. Give somebody a compliment. Look at your babies when they wake up in the morning. And you will be responsible for changing the world. That is all it's going to take, I promise you. No government policy in our respective lifetimes is going to make a massive impact on anything that has to do with homelessness or marginalization or racism or war. But you doing the next best right kind thing will move the needle. That's all we need from you. And, you know, when somebody, when you see someone, and they used to be commercials or things about, when you see someone else doing a kind thing, it's a it's kind of like a, an effect that ripples. It's to contagious. Else. It's contagious. And someone else was like, oh, look how that made that person feel good. I'm going to do this to someone else. But pass it on. You need to pass well, it on. Well, and here's, here's the truth, Bridge. Mid, misery loves miserable company. So misery true. does not love optimism. Oh, and so true. somebody's out there bitching or rolling their eyes or doing the things that whatever. And you're like, you know what? Actually, that wasn't... That wasn't such a bad call. Or I I kind of think we've got some things to hope for here. You know, people are usually like, oh, zip it, Mary Poppins. But that's how you create a movement, right? If there's enough of you in this place of optimism or wonder, it is so easy to get sucked into. It is so awful. The kids these days are a problem. Nobody knows how to work. These Gen Zers, listen, I've assessed and treated over a thousand kids up here in Canada, and I've never not one time met a bad kid. I have met a lot of emotionally dysregulated kids. I've met a lot of babies that don't think they matter, but I've never met a bad human. And I've sat with people in prison. I've sat with people who've had their kids apprehended. I have not one time have I sat with somebody. I've sat with many underprivileged people who have not had the capacity to have somebody tell them they're amazing. And when you are acknowledged, you rise. Full stop. Yes. 
Yeah, um, when you acknowledge, you rise. That's you rise. so true. It doesn't. That's something that's ageless. You know, we talk about so many privileges, of, but feeling seen and feeling heard is something that every age, every demographic, religion, you just want to feel seen, heard, acknowledged, right or wrong. Well, and I and I have to think about this. You know, as a straight white woman, um, I've spent some time, you know, on my podcast, you know, talking to people that, that aren't like me, and that you know, the, the space of gender identity. You know, people often say, "How come there's so many letters? LGBTQA plus all the things, right?" Be- because when you don't feel like you fit in this world, you want somebody to notice. So I'm going to keep keep getting it until you're like, "Oh, that's what it's like," and it's so fantastic to just appreciate the fact that when you light up with somebody, if you've, you know, if you've ever watched your, an airport reunion or uh, a grandparents, you know, watch their baby or or, a mom watch their baby run into them and their eyes go, "Ah," that's the light up. Okay. And it doesn't matter how you do it. I mean, if you and I meet in person, the light up will look like a leg wrap and a bosom snuggle. I mean, I'm always over the top. So it is not how you do it. It is if you do it, that matters. In our disconnected state, we often forget just how critically important that middle place of acknowledgement is. I see you. I'm proud of you. Look at you. Good job, Dad. Think about how many times we don't even just take that opportunity, right, to be able to say, here's what I love about you. Or I noticed when you did that with kids today. Like, do you know how much they love you? Do you know how amazing you are? So don't underestimate or your power. You know, what feeling seen, the, the working title for so long was if you only knew. Because I think as humans, we underestimate just how much we impact other people. You know, I I started Kids These Days, my first book, with a story of my favorite teacher. She taught me something in grade 10. Her her name was Mrs. Holly Nordstrom. And I don't remember what. So I go in to get a PhD from this little K-12 school. And she was my favorite teacher. I remember mostly because where she was standing and what she was wearing the day she had to tell us the then captain of our hockey team had been killed. And as a 16-year-old kid, I remember thinking, I want to be her because she handled that with so much grace and wisdom. And I felt so safe in this tragedy that I thought that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be like Mrs. Nordstrom. And and my dad said, you want to be a teacher? And I was like, no, I don't really like kids. Uh, I'm a (laughs) big fan of big people. I mean, I have three of my own now, so I'm kind of coming around, but I'm not a fan of other people's children. And what happened um, in that moment is I never told her for 23 years that she was the impetus of me getting a PhD, that I think about her all the time, that I, you know, and she was like, I remember where she was sitting when I gave a talk and she was in the audience. And I said, Holly, I don't know if you know. And I mean, tears and all the things. And I said, do you remember that day? Um, She said, I do not remember that moment of having to tell you as a class. Obviously, I will never forget losing a student. Um, But I said, I don't know, like, obviously, if you only knew the impact that you had on on me and and obviously countless others, you know, you know, you had thousands of students in your life. And um, it was because of you. And I, I think how often we don't tell people that, how often when you do tell people that, what happens to them, what happens to their commitment to professions where feel, they feel very unacknowledged. Uh, I think about police officers, first responders all the time, very, very unacknowledged in their profession because often they're serving in times of other people's biggest distress. And very rarely do people have the capacity to go back and say, thank you. I see you. I appreciate that at four o'clock in the morning, you came to my house to, to break up a fight or tell me that my baby was not okay. Or, you know, whatever that was, we're right. You know, we don't ever fill that up and you can't continue to serve if you are not acknowledged. 
Well, we can't thank you enough, Jody, for coming on the show. Make sure everybody checks out Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World because you just share so much insight and we can only do so much in the time we had, but I right. think it was a very powerful conversation it and does. we appreciate you joining us. And yes, I just, I want to tell you, she addresses, you know, so much in this book that just different situations, relationships, uh, situations with your children, with your family, situations with people who have to work in trauma situations. So you really, really need to read this book. It's it's very easy to read and it's it's just a great, you know, great information. So make sure you check it out. Thanks, Jody. We appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, that was so much fun talking to Dr. Jody Carrington. I just really got so much, I don't know, it was just fun. Who knew talking to a psychologist could be so much fun? But not only is <laughs> Again, it Again, a free yes. therapy session for Bridget. I know. Oh my gosh. The best. So make sure that you check out her podcast, the Everyone Come from Somewhere podcast. Be sure to check out her book, Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. This was just a really great episode. Lots of fun. Make sure that you check out the video on YouTube on our Hot Flashes and Cold Topics YouTube channel. And we appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening to us. Have a great day, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.